Uh, hey, everyone, it's Russ, and welcome to another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Christine Lucan. Christine is a financial coach. She has developed some courses, programs, written a book, uh, has a lot of great resources on her website, uh, many of which I'm sure we'll talk about, and uh, I'll certainly include links uh, in the show notes for this episode, but uh, let's uh, let's dive in. Christine, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, glad you could join us. Why don't... Uh, why don't we get started by just uh, having you tell us a little bit about, about yourself personally? Yeah, yeah. So my name's Christine Lucan. I'm known as the financial lifeguard. Um, I have been a financial coach uh, for close to 13 years now. And I think the most important thing that people need to know about me is I didn't get into doing this work because I've always done things perfectly with my finances. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, I broke off an engagement, uh, in my mid twenties at age 26 and I hit financial rock bottom despite having an accounting degree. And that was a very shameful and embarrassing experience for me because I left this relationship with a lot of debt. I left the relationship owing payday lenders money, being behind on my car payment. Uh, I jokingly say if it's possible for a credit score to be negative, mine probably was. And, you know, I had a good part of the reason why I had gotten myself into this situation was because the guy that I was engaged to had horrible money habits. Uh, he was in and out of jobs and even in and out of jail. I thought if I just loved him enough that he would change and he did, he got worse. <laughs> so, you know, I ended up, you know, having to completely start over in my late twenties and it, it was embarrassing. It was an embarrassing situation for me to be in, especially because I should have known better. I had an accounting degree. I was actually working for a multi-million dollar company as their staff accountant. And yet here I was bouncing my own checks at home. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for your willingness to share that. Um, and I, uh, there's a lot in there that I, I, I'd love for us to touch on in our conversation today. Um, the shame and the embarrassment that you felt. And, and I, know, I know you and I were talking before we started recording about um, how, how you and I both seen that um, with other folks, um, especially women. Um, but, uh, you know, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you um, don't speak from um, a position of, you know, perfection or, or having done it all right. I mean, clearly no one's perfect, but uh, that you're willing to kind of admit and accept your, you know, your mistakes or wrong turns in the past. And it sounds like you've used them to, you know, find a, a better, a better path for yourself. Um, yes. So, well, first of all, just thanks for sharing that. I, I appreciate that. And I know our listeners will too. Um, could you maybe take just a second, Christine, and, and maybe give our listeners a little bit of a, a flavor or explanation? Like what's the difference between a financial coach, uh, what you do, and maybe a more traditional financial advisor, um, which is what yes. I do? Yes. Yeah. And the, what we do is very complementary. The very the the easiest way for me to explain it in one sentence is a financial coach helps you become financially healthy. 
a financial advisor helps you to become financially wealthy. So as a financial coach, I am working with my clients on their daily money management habits. So we are looking at spending habits, making sure that we're tracking our spending, that we're being intentional with it. We are looking at making sure that our debt is manageable and we're making a plan to get things paid down because we don't want to be carrying any more debt than we need to because we don't want it to be stressing us out either emotionally or financially. And then we also work on various saving goals. So we want to have, you know, most people call it an emergency fund. Um, I like to call it a freedom fund because that actually sounds much more enjoyable. But, you know, we do need to have this, this cushion, you know, that will protect us from those things that invariably happen so that we don't have to put those emergencies on a credit card. And then I really dig deep into, you know, habits and mindset and helping people to understand, you know, where they picked up these patterns for interacting with their money. Because sometimes we just do what our parents did. We just do what's what's been taught us or, you know, maybe our partner does things a particular way. And we just, we, we took that on without really questioning it. And then we may have some of these habits that aren't really serving us anymore. Yeah. I, it's so interesting in my conversation with um, other guests on the podcast, how um, emotion psychology, money habits, or uh, what I've also heard referred to as money scripts um, come up a lot. Um, and, and I think that just underlines the fact that um, at the end of the day, money, money is uh, a very, emotion-filled topic. It touches virtually all aspects of our lives and um, getting your getting your habits, your behavior, your thoughts, your mindset around money um, can make a huge difference, maybe a, maybe a, a, a bigger difference than, than virtually anything else that, that you can do. So um, I think, yes. I think it's, I think it's super important and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you shared that. So it sounds like you, you do a lot um, and it sounds like while complimentary, there's also maybe some degree of overlap between the work you do and the work I do as far as just helping people um, as far as like setting up, to use your terminology of freedom fund and, and preventing the need to go back into, you know, consumer debt and, and things like that. Um, what else can you tell us about the work that, that you do, Christine? Um, well, you know, I really love working with women who are going through divorce because that is a very emotional time. And th- there's actually a term called divorce brain <laughs> because, Divorce puts so much stress on people, both men and women, that, you know, it can actually impair our decision making. You know, when we are in this state of stress for a prolonged period of time, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and chaos and, you know, depending, you know, even in the very best situations where people are agreeable about the divorce, there's still a lot of turmoil and there's still a lot of emotion and it is prime time for money mistakes, right? Because we can be making these decisions when we're not in the best place emotionally. 
And many of these decisions can have a long-lasting impact on our personal finances. And I think it is so helpful for people who are going through divorce to have the guidance of someone, whether it, it is a financial coach or it is a financial planner, who understands the emotional side of money um, to help guide them through some of these financial decisions that that need to be made during that transition. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I I've, I've often joked that I I'm not a psychologist, but um, I kind of play one in my head sometimes. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's interesting. I I uh, one of my amateur theories is that I think uh, during divorce. Um, I think you could argue that the 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 family, um, you know, whether it's a uh, a woman and her husband or partner, um, there may be children involved. Um, I would I would argue that you could almost think of that like a, a family unit or a tribe. And and when that tribe's being broken up, or you're you're leaving the tribe, whether by choice or uh, by circumstances through a divorce, for example, I think it can literally trigger some of our ancient survival instincts, like kind of tap into our lizard brain. And um, uh, I've heard the term divorce brain before, but I I think that um, I think that I've seen glimpses of that in, in conversations with some of my clients that have been introduced to me either during or after divorce and um, just hearing kind of the tone of voice and and things that, you know, some of these women have shared with me, it's like they're, they're almost like feel like they're fighting for their lives and in some respects they are. Um, but it, yeah. it, it's super interesting just to take a step back and uh, consider the, the role that, you know, psychology and mindset plays in money in general, as we've already addressed, but specifically when it comes to a divorce. And I know, um, I know you um, have done a lot of thinking and do a lot of work around money, shame and embarrassment and how that can almost kind of create this vicious cycle, um, especially, you know, especially in the context of a divorce. Do you want to maybe share a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because here's what I see, you know, when we, when I talk about the money shame cycle, essentially what happens is someone does something with money, you know, they make a mistake with money and then they feel ashamed about that mistake. And that shame makes them want to hide. And when you hide, you don't get the help that you need to fix the mistake or prevent future mistakes. And so that cycle continues. And really the critical the critical point is right after you make a mistake because we all make financial mistakes. Like I still make financial mistakes. Like you said, none of us is perfect. And, you know, there will be times when I, I spend emotionally and I spend more money than I thought. Now, you know, it's not the way it used to be before I hit rock bottom because I've got systems in place to make sure that those things don't happen very often. But you know, we can still make mistakes. We're human. So when we make that mistake, I think sometimes people confuse the emotions of guilt and shame. So guilt tells us we've done something wrong. 
And we can use that guilt to basically fix our mistake, right? So if I do something wrong and I emotionally spend and I feel guilty about it, I can say, you know what? That was a dumb thing to do, Christine. (laughs) But here's what I'm going to do in the future to fix it. Or maybe I need some more education on this particular issue um, because maybe it was a mistake that I made out of ignorance, right? Um, But I can I can use that that guilt to remind me that uh, that something's wrong here and something needs to be fixed. Now, when that guilt gets transferred into shame, we basically say instead of saying I did a bad thing, we we now say I did a bad thing and therefore I'm a bad person because I did this. So. There's a very, you know, there's a subtle, but it's a very distinct difference of, you know, okay, I've made this mistake, I need to fix it versus I made this mistake, I'm a horrible person. And then we turn inward instead of getting the help that we need. So it is, it is hard to reach out to someone to get help. And I think um, I, I am seeing, I'm very encouraged that I am seeing trends change in the financial services industry. I am seeing a lot more of what I call heart-centered financial professionals like you, Russ. Um, but, you know, there there are still individuals out there in the financial services industry who, you know, take that patriarchal view and, you know, like to mansplain things to their female clients and when someone has that experience, then it makes them not want to trust any financial professional, right? If they've had a bad experience, then it makes them feel like it's not safe for me to talk about these things. So my goal is to open up this conversation and to be very transparent about the mistakes that I have made and to share tools and tips for women and men um, on how we can take better control of our finances and and to educate ourselves. And so there's kind of two pieces here, which you and I talked about uh, before we hopped on here is there's there's the the competence piece of learning and applying that knowledge, but then there's also the confidence piece of I can do this. And Women need both of those, right? We need to go and get that that education and that, you know, that skill building of managing money. Um, and that actually does lead to the confidence, but it, it is a skill. And I think many times we are impatient with ourselves and we think that we should know how to do this. And if we don't, then we start to feel that shame, Right. Yeah. Yeah. What, Christine, what would you say? I I know you mentioned earlier that that you really have a passion for working with women during the divorce process. Um, You know, clearly there's a, that's deep and fertile territory for uh, a lot of opportunities to help, but there's also a lot of opportunities for, for people to, to maybe kind of get caught in that, that money shame um, spiral or, or cycle, um, could you maybe 
paint a little pic, uh, a, a picture for us of, you know, how else you work with and help women that are going through the divorce process? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's some like typical emotional money mistakes that I, that I see women making when they go through divorce and they usually fall into one of three categories. So the first one is using money as a weapon. And usually this happens when they feel like they have been wronged by their partner. You know, maybe their their husband cheated on them. Maybe they spent a bunch of money or ran up a bunch of debt. And so there's this very strong need for revenge against the other person. And when we use money as a weapon, what we forget is that that is a two-edged sword. And even though we may think that we're taking a stab at our ex-partner, we're, we're actually cutting ourselves as well, right? Um, and I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, I have a good friend who's a financial planner, and he had this client who, you know, her, her husband had cheated on her. <laughs> she was getting half of his 401k assets. And she told him, I want to take $50,000 and cash it out. And he talked to her until he was blue in the face, trying to talk her out of this. And she would not be talked out of it. And so, you know, he had to cash it out and give her the money. And she spent this $50,000 on a red BMW convertible because her thinking was every single time I drop the kids off at his house or pick them up, I am throwing it in his face that I have spent this money on this car that I deserve. But the problem is, as you well know, when you figure in the interest and the penalties that she had to pay for that car, you know, it was really more like $75,000 once you figure in the tax bill. And then all of the lost growth on that money, right? Yep. You know, like compounded over 10, 15, 20 years was probably hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, I tell my clients, you know, if you're feeling really angry, let's not put money in the middle of this. Now, let's find a productive outlet for your anger. You know, I'll tell them, go take a kickboxing workout class, you know, sign up for eight weeks of kickboxing, <laughs> you know, you'll get in great shape and you will get that frustration out. You know, physical activity is wonderful for that. And, you know, probably what I would have advised this woman do is say, you know what, once you get the divorce settlement, maybe we can take a couple thousand dollars and you can, you know, go take a beach vacation, you know, or you can go buy a designer purse but maybe one-tenth of that amount, right, instead of $50,000. The other one that I see people making is the exact opposite, which is giving away the store. And I was guilty of this in my relationship because I just wanted out. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of fighting. I was a people pleaser. I did not like to fight. And that's essentially how my ex got me to cave in for him to get his way is he would, he would provoke arguments with me because he knew he would wear me down and I would give in to whatever he wanted. 
And so when I decided that's it, I'm leaving, you know, we had jointly run up debt in my name. Um, his car was in my name because he had a suspended license because of two DUIs. I should have taken that car and sold it to help pay off that debt, but I didn't. I just signed the car over to him and said, get this, you know, I don't care whose name this goes in, but this has to get out, out of my name and out of my insurance. I left him most of the furniture. I didn't make him pay back any of the credit card debt because I was just done and I just wanted to leave. But the problem is, especially when you are in a divorce situation, it's really hard to amend things like spousal support agreements, you know, settlement agreements, child support agreements after the fact. And sometimes women have a hard time advocating for themselves. You know, I see women all the time where, you know, they would lift up a truck with one hand for their child if they, you know, if their child was in danger. But, you know, it's almost like they don't protect themselves, you know, they'll they'll protect everybody else, um, but they won't stand up for themselves. And so sometimes I will, I will tell them to appeal to a higher cause and say, look, every dollar that you don't fight for is a dollar that you don't have to help take care of your kids. And even if they don't have kids, um, you know, most women I know are very generous and they have charitable causes that they want to support and represent. And I'll say, look, you know, if you don't want to fight for yourself, you know, I said every dollar that you don't get that is rightfully yours, you know, that's less money for you to be able to support these causes that are important to you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that um, so many women just naturally fall into that caregiver role, whether that's, Children, minor children, or sometimes adult children, whether that's aging parents. Um, and, and the analogy I like to use is that they often forget to put the oxygen mask on themselves first. Yes. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's frustrating uh, from where I sit. But, um, you know, again, I, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a mindset and it's a, it's a psychology thing. So it's not, a, it's not something where they can just say, oh, well, I won't do that anymore. But um, it, it first takes some, <laughs> some acknowledgement and some, you know, coaching from someone like you to kind of help them see the bigger picture and the pros and cons of, you know, that, that mindset or not, uh, not applying more self-care and prioritizing mm-hmm. their own needs over those of, of others or, you know, just like the story you gave about your, your relationship, just wanting to be done and, you know, basically wash, you know, wash your hands of it and move on. So, right. um, And that can be expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I do with my clients and and you probably do something similar, you know, if you're going to help to create a plan for someone to accomplish their financial goals, you need to know two things. You need to know where are they right now, right? And that's like looking at all their numbers. But you also need to know what is the goal? Like, what does your preferred financial future look like? You know, if you woke up tomorrow and felt awesome about your money, like, what does that look like? What are the things you want? You know, what are the experiences you want? What's the lifestyle that you want? And, um, 
So I do that with all of my clients during our first session. I call it the dream session, right? Because I need to know what success looks like for you in order to help you build this plan for your personal finances. And, um, you know, I was talking to a divorcing woman, six kids, um, you know, they were, I think her youngest was maybe like a junior in high school. So they were starting to, you know, cycle out of the household. Um, and the divorce was like, not her idea. You know, she found out her husband was cheating on her and it was, you know, a lot of turmoil. And um, so, you know, I was asking her, what are the things that you want for the future? And, you know, she was like, well, I'd, I'd love to take a family vacation with my kids. And, you know, she was a lot of the things that she said were relative to our kids. And I looked at her and I said, what do you want for you? Like, not for anybody else. I said, what's something that you want just for you and your own pleasure? And she started crying and she said, no one's ever asked me that before. Wow. And I was just like, oh, let me pass you the tissue, sister. <laughs> I think we were both crying over that one. I was like, yes, this is what, and, and it took her a while. I mean, it really took her like two or three months before she could come, before she said this, this is what I want for myself. Yeah. What a great, what a great story. And, and yeah. good for you for good for you for, you know, having what I would maybe refer to as a breakthrough, whether that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, one, and one thing I would add, I, I completely, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that, you know, in any coaching or advice relationship, you need to first kind of inventory where someone is. Um, and, and in a close second is figuring out what, where they want to go. What, what does success like look like? What are their goals? What are they, what do they really want? Not, not what, the, not, not what, it, what they think is expected of them or not what they think other people want of them, but you know, what do they personally want, you know, deep down inside, and something else that I'm starting to introduce in my conversations is also, in addition to looking at where they're at and where they want to go, looking at where they're coming, where, where they've come from. So yes, not in, a, not in a therapeutic perspective, not not that we're looking backwards to try to fix something, but just to say like, hey, tell me about, you know, what are your money memories? What was money like in your house growing up? Was there always enough? Was there never enough? Um, you know, what do you, you know? What were your family's attitudes about debt or credit cards or saving or spending? Um, because to your earlier comments, I think that we often carry these childhood lessons, e even though we weren't maybe explicitly taught these things that we learn about money, we carry them into adulthood um, and um, for, for better or worse. Um, yes, absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I, I love, I love all that, but I, I, I'm starting to, introduce um, some conversations around, around, you know, people's money history, just to, just to, so I, I can hopefully get a better understanding and, and hopefully give them a better understanding of themselves. So I, I think that's pretty interesting, uh, interesting um, ground to cover as well. Oh, it is absolutely. Because, you know, we need to, we need to cultivate awareness around that because I, I find it very interesting and you and I could probably you know, do like two or three of these sessions really diving into, um, you know, the psychology of money and, and things of that nature. But um, one thing that I learned in the past several years, af even after I wrote my book, Money is Emotional, is 
you know, that children's brains are very different from adult brains, especially with children between the ages of like two and seven. You might have even said if you have kids or nieces or nephews when they're in that age range that they're like a sponge. You know, they're, they're just constantly absorbing information and their brain waves are different during that, that age stage, because they have so many things to learn in a very short period of time. Like they have to learn language, they have to learn, you know, how to survive and thrive in the family unit. You know, they have to learn how to, you know, interact out in society and they, Children don't have the the judging part of the brain that can reject something and say, I'm not going to believe this. So if your parents tell you something, you absorb that and it gets stored down in your unconscious mind as the truth, right? Like that's why you can tell a four-year-old that there's a leprechaun or the Easter bunny hiding in the bushes and they believe you, Right. Um, but the bad thing is, if parents say things like money is the root of all evil, or you have to work really hard to make money, or there's never enough to go around, the same thing is true. We absorb that down into our unconscious mind as the truth, and it becomes part of what I call your money blueprint. So as adults, we are operating off of this money blueprint that's down in our unconscious mind that most of us aren't even aware that we have one. And so starting to bring awareness to that of, you know, how, how did your parents talk about money? How did they handle money? You know, what, what's your early, earliest memory of money can give you clues as to why you interact with your money today the way that you do. Um, quick story. I had a client who, who came to me and she said, I know I should be saving money, but she said, when I even think about going to the bank to open a savings account, I get anxiety. And I was like, well, that's like kind of the opposite of, you know, most people, you know, feel anxious if they don't have any savings. And so I, I asked her, I said, you know, tell me about some of, you know, how your parents handled money, early experiences, et cetera. Um, And during that first session, nothing in particular really came up. But when she came back um, a couple of weeks later, she said, I think I know what's going on here. And she said, um, when I was five, she said, I had a piggy bank. And anytime I got any money for birthdays or chores, whatever, I would put it in the piggy bank. And her brother was like eight or nine years older than her. And he stole the money out of her piggy bank. And she said, you know, she's like, it's dumb. It was like $10. She said, my mom eventually figured, you know, I went to my mom. My mom eventually figured out what happened. She made my brother, you know, give me back the money. Um, But she's like, I feel that same anxiety, like, when I tell you this and I said, well, that's because, you know, when you were five, I said, first of all, $10 is like $10 million to a five-year-old. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, wh- what did you do when your mom gave you that money back? And she said, 
well, I spent it. And I said, did you ever put any money back in that piggy bank? And she said, no, because it wasn't safe to put it there. And I said, so see what you learned there as a five-year-old, that it's not safe to save money. And so we did some mindset work around that and we created some new mantras about, you know, it's safe for me to save money. Um, And just uncovering that memory and examining it from an adult perspective took the power away from it. And within the next two days, she went to the bank, she opened her savings account and, you know, has since been putting money into it every week ever since. But you know, it's just like she didn't even know what that was that was holding her back. And it was it was that incidence of having money stolen from her as a little kid. Yeah, but but clearly it was holding her back. So, um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of power and empowerment that comes from, you know, just identifying, naming, figuring out what what it is or, or what they are, uh, what what these beliefs or lessons or unconscious thoughts that you know, mindsets that we carry with us sometimes, like, like you said, since, since early childhood that can, mm-hmm. that can, you know, prove to be obstacles to us, you know, making progress financially. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think we would both agree if you're not in a healthy financial position that spills into all other areas or, or it can spill into all other areas of life too. It can, it can lead to stress, anxiety. Those can have health, like, like physical health, uh, Absolutely. You know, um, impairment. So um, the, these kind of foundational beliefs can really have a far-reaching effect, for better or worse. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of good in being thoughtful and, and being a little more self-aware and, and you know naming these things and, and putting yourself in a position to move move past it. So th- thanks for sharing yeah. that story. What a what a great example of, you know, these money scripts or these money blueprints as you, yeah. as you like to call them. I, that's fantastic. Um, what would you, well, first of all, I, I agree to, to your earlier comment. I think you and I could easily talk for hours upon end about this stuff <laughs> um, and not, uh, and not, uh, you know, blink twice about it. So we'll, we'll maybe have to have a part two or a part three uh, down the road. Um, Absolutely. And I uh, look forward to doing that, but You've covered a ton. Uh, you do a lot of coaching, mindset work, um, helping people with you know some some systems and habits and um, setting up you know good behaviors around money, um, whether that's um, you know kind of in isolation or in the context of something like a divorce. What would you say, Christine, is the biggest challenge that you help people address or solve through your through your work, through your writing, through your coaching? Well, it's really you know, helping them to improve their relationship with money. And a lot of people don't think about it this way, but money is like the third person in your relationship. You're interacting with money every single day, you know, and honestly, whether you're in a relationship or not, you're still in a relationship with money. You you are going to, you know, you're spending money, you're earning money, you're saving money, you're investing money, you're managing money pretty much every single day. It's rarely a day goes by that you are not having some sort of interaction with your money. And most people have never thought about that this is a relationship. And to examine, is it a good relationship? Am I, you know, doing the things that I need to be doing to 
cultivate a positive and peaceful relationship with my money. And it is that two parts. It is the mindset, you know, how do I think about money? How do I talk about money? But it is also, you know, what are those daily actions that I'm doing? Am am I respecting my money? Am I spending quality time with my money? What do I need to learn to take my relationship with money to the next level and, and get it to the point to where I really feel good about it? And so I think it's really shifting the way that people look at their finances uh, rather than, you know, the traditional old paradigm of, you know, you have to have a strict budget and you have to follow all these these rules and these formulas. And certainly, yes, there are basic financial principles that every personal finance, you know, expert is going to agree on, you know. Yes, we should save money. We should spend less than we make. We shouldn't have excessive debt. Um, But, you know, money is very personal. That's why we call it personal finances, right? Um, And the ultimate goal of our money is to support our happiness. And so many people haven't really thought about what, what is it that I want money to provide for me and for my family? And it's rare that people have actually, you know, cast that vision and said, you know, this is what success will look like for me and exactly how much money do I need in order to accomplish this? You know, most people will just say, well, I need more money if I want to improve my life. Well, how much more money? Like, what are you going to use it for? Right. Right? So I think it's more of having this holistic, healthy relationship with money versus, you know, I just need more, 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 more of it because that's not healthy either. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think there's a real um, uh, lack of discussion in financial services and personal finance circles around how much is enough. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think if, I think if you've got some some idiosyncrasies or some, you know, some behavioral or mindset issues around money, um, whether, whether they're conscious or not. I think, I think oftentimes more money is just going to magnify those issues. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think the earlier you can get your, both your brain and your arms around them um, and, you know, get on a path to, like you said, building a better, uh, more healthy relationship with money, the, the better because um, A, you'll likely get a better handle on on how much is truly enough and, and B, um, more money, whether that's earning, saving, investing is less likely to exacerbate or, you know, mag- magnify, you know, some of these maybe not so healthy mindsets, behaviors, habits. So um, I think, Absolutely. I think that's super important. Yeah. So, so this, this is Women's Retirement Radio. Um, everything we talk about and, and work on comes back to, you know, helping women in their 50s and 60s uh, plan for and have a successful transition into retirement. But clearly, retirement means different things to different people. So, Christine, when you think of the word retirement, what comes to mind for you personally? Well, you know, for me, I love the work that I do. And you know, I'm not sure that I will ever 
completely retire <laughs> from from doing this um, in some way, shape, or form. But I think, um, you know, to me, retirement is, you know, not having to do anything you don't want to do. You know, if if you have enough money to live the life that you want to live, whether that involves some work or not, just being in that position to where, you know, if you don't want to work, if you want to take a day off, you know, then, I mean, honestly, that's really the goal, right? Um, and for, like you said, for everybody, that that looks different. You know, when my husband retires from GE, he wants to be done, <laughs> right? But for me, it's like, I'll probably still be writing. I'll probably still be helping people in some way, shape, or form uh, with their personal finances. But, um, you know, I think retirement is really about having the choice of how much you want to work, if you want to work, and still have that comfortable, secure lifestyle, what, whatever that means to you. Yeah, I'm... It's interesting that you use that word choice, which comes up a lot in, in when I ask this question, uh, you know, words like choice, freedom, mm-hmm. uh, independence, options or, or optionality. Um, yep. and, and I, I agree. I think, I think it's just, you know, having more freedom to choose how you spend your time, where you spend your time, who you spend your time with, and, and whether that's, whether that's continuing to work in some capacity or not. Um, I think, uh, I think it's just interesting to to see the the evolving thoughts around retirement because clearly today it's very different than it was just you know twenty five or thirty years ago when you know everybody had a pension you retire um, yep. and you know you you hoped you lived another fifteen or twenty years um, you know people are living potentially spending as many years in retirement as they did in their in their career um, in yeah. the future so something something to think about what. Specific to women, what do you think is the biggest challenge women face when when they're planning for retirement, Christine? Well, you know, I think it's really a matter of understanding, you know, understanding what their their options are and, you know, really finding someone that they work well with to help them plan retirement. Um, and I encourage all women, whether they're married or not, to take an active role in their personal finances. Um, It can be real easy to just abdicate that to your spouse, um, especially if they are a numbers person. I coach a lot of women who are divorcing financial professionals. (laughs) You know, they're divorcing a financial planner, they're divorcing a CPA, and, you know, they really don't have any idea of what's going on. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this statistic that 80% of women at some point in their life will be 100% responsible for managing their finances. So, you know, it is important to get involved and understand what's going on with the personal finances early and often, you know, to be having those conversations and understand what you have and have that relationship with the financial professionals in your life, whether it is your tax person, your investment person, your banker, et cetera, um, to keep that education going. Yeah, I agree. Hearing you say that, I'm I'm reminded of something you said earlier, which really kind of resonated with me, which is the ideals, the ideas of both competence and confidence. And I think I think the 
earlier and more often that women are involved in their finances, whether they're on their own or in a, in a relationship. Um, I think um, the more involved they are, um, that's going to breed more familiarity and more familiarity is going to breed more comfort, which leads to uh, both competence and confidence, which um, yep. I think uh, I would agree. I think, I think women, I think everyone, but women especially need both. Uh, I think if you've got one and not the other, that can, that can also potentially lead to problems. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So um, what, so clearly the, the work you're doing, Christine, with coaching and writing and some of your programs and courses that you have available on your website, your book. Um, I know, I know you love working with and serving women. Um, I know you have a particular passion for helping women that are dealing with divorce but thinking about women in retirement, how would you say that your work uh, most impacts women um, and or their families as they're looking towards retirement? Well, I would say it's really, you know, them having the confidence of knowing that they're going to be okay. Um, you know, a lot of women who come to me for coaching, especially the single women, um, it's like they don't know they're not sure if they're going to be okay. They're not sure if they're overspending. Um, they don't know when it's okay to loosen up and be able to enjoy some of their money. And many of them are, you know, living in this state of, of constant anxiety. And I think just that process of feeling in control of their personal finances and knowing how much it's okay for them to spend every month because they are still going to meet their retirement goals. It just allows them to relax in a place deep down in their soul <laughs> where it's like, you know, money is not constantly stressing me out. And, you know, for many people, that's, that's a huge shift. That's a huge shift of having that peace of mind. Yeah. It, it, and it goes back to, in my mind, it goes back to something you mentioned just a moment ago, which is the idea of, of, uh, retirement being a about choice and freedom, and I think that if money is this constant source of of anxiety or stress, um, I think that's going to limit people's um, sense of freedom or independence or choice. So I, I think those two mm -hmm. can very likely go hand in hand. So um, yeah, I think I think that's super important. As we start to wrap up, um, something I always like to ask uh, our guest is um, uh, if and when you do have an hour or two all to yourself. Cause I know, I know you're busy. <laughs> um, how do you, how do you most enjoy spending your, your time when you've got a little time to yourself? Uh, well, it's summer right now as we're recording this. So I like to golf. I'm not very good, but I, I love hitting the golf course with my dad. So he'll be uh 76 next month. And I just, I really, you know, cherish that time of hanging out with him and, learning from him to be a better golfer um, and just being out in nature and uh, not taking myself too seriously. Cause I usually don't keep score. <laughs> speaking from experience, that's probably the, the that's probably a, a good, a good thing when it comes, at least speaking from my, my golf uh, exploits <laughs> in the past is uh, I found it to be an exercise in frustration, but it was, it was a good excuse to get outside and spend a, a few hours walking around and chasing a little ball. Often, yep. often in the woods for for myself. Um, I don't think I asked you this earlier. Tell me, uh, tell tell us again where you're based, Christine. 
So I'm actually in the Cincinnati area, but I do coach women all over the U.S. and even in Canada. So um, now that we're in this uh, mobile Zoom world, uh, there are no borders. So I uh, I enjoy working with with couples and women everywhere. So it's a lot of fun. Great, great. So we've covered a ton. Um, I think we both agree we could probably continue the conversation and we'll have to do that another time. But if there were one thing that our listeners could take away from our conversation today, if there was one thought or idea or one action item, what would you want that one thing to be? Well, I think it would be, you know, to, you know, to recognize that you do have a relationship with money and commit to improving that relationship with money by spending time managing your money wisely, learning, um, and really starting to, you know, take both those practical steps and, you know, to be thinking about the mindset of how am I speaking about money? How am I thinking about money? Um, Because this is a lifelong relationship that you have with your money. And, you know, why not, why, why not let it be a good one? Great question. Uh, and, a, and, a, and maybe a, a good a good place to wrap up our conversation. And, and clearly, one of the ways that you can work on your relationship with money is reaching out to Christine. So, Christine, what's the best way for people to learn more, reach out, um, you know, get in touch if, uh, if they're interested in doing so? Absolutely. They can go to my website, which is my name. So it's christinelucan.com. Um, and if they are interested in learning more about the emotional side of money, they can download the first three chapters of my book, Money is Emotional, uh, at moneyisemotional.com. Uh, I jokingly say it's like the least boring personal finance book you'll ever read because it's half tabloid of my life as I crashed and burned financially. Um, but then it's also half financial how-to um, you know, how to harness the power of your emotions instead of fighting against them so that you can improve both your relationship and your results with your money. Well, well, that's fantastic. We'll be sure to include links to your website, to your book website in the show notes, uh, in addition to other ways people can find you online or on social media and that sort of thing. So, uh, Christine, this has been fun. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it too. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And uh, hey, everyone, thanks uh, thanks again for uh, for your time and for, for listening. Um, this is Russ. This has been another episode of Women's Retirement Radio. And I look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. It's Russ again. And before you go, I want to provide a brief disclosure. You should consult a financial advisor familiar with the specific circumstances of your unique financial situation before making any financial decisions. Nothing in this broadcast constitutes a solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities. Any mentioned rates of return are historical or hypothetical in nature and are not a guarantee of future returns. I'm a financial advisor and an investment advisor representative of Wealthcare Capital Management, LLC an SEC-registered investment advisor based in Richmond, Virginia. The views discussed in this podcast are my own and may not be consistent with or represent those of Wealthcare Capital Management.